0: You're listening to South Asia Sphere from Himal, South Asian, a bi-weekly roundup of what's been happening across South Asia. This episode was recorded on the 2nd of May, 2023.
1: Hi everyone, and welcome to South Asia Sphere, our fortnightly roundup of news events and regional affairs. I'm Raisa, and I'm joined by my colleague and fact-checker and researcher, Saheli. Hi, Saheli. Hi, Raisa. So this week, for our big stories, we're talking about ongoing court cases on marriage equality in India and decriminalization in Sri Lanka. We're also talking about the fencing of the Durand line between Pakistan and Afghanistan. In around South Asia in five minutes, we'll be talking about April marking 10 years since the collapse of Rana Plaza in Bangladesh and eight years since the 2015 earthquake in Nepal as well as developments in the 2002 Gujarat riots in India. We'll also be talking about Bhutan's cryptocurrency holdings, voter data theft and manipulation in the lead-up to Karnataka's state elections, revelations around a bribe impacting the Express Pearl disaster litigation in Sri Lanka, restless protests in India, and the last photos of Japanese photojournalist Kenji Nagai, who was killed in Myanmar. Let's start off with discussing marriage equality in India. We seek a declaration that we have a right to get married, that right will be recognized by the state and would be registrable under the special marriage.
0: In India, the Supreme Court is hearing petitions that were filed in November last year seeking legal recognition of same-sex marriages. The petitioners argue that non-recognition of same-sex marriage violates their right to equality, freedom of expression, and dignity, and that the current law is unconstitutional because it is discriminatory and denies same-sex couples matrimonial benefits such as adoption, surrogacy, employment, and retirement benefits. Now, This case is the latest in a series of landmark cases that have been brought to the Supreme Court dealing with the rights of the LGBTIQ community. The Supreme Court legally recognized trans and third gender rights in 2014 and decriminalized homosexuality in 2018. But the union government has been staunchly opposing the legalization of same-sex marriage, saying that it goes against religious values and called it an urban elitist concept. Leaders of religious communities in a rare show of unity have also opposed it, arguing that marriage is between a man and a woman and is for procreation only. The Indian Psychiatric Society, whose input was very important in the 2018 decriminalisation judgement however, released a statement supporting same-sex marriage and cited multiple studies that show that being raised by a same-sex couple is not detrimental to children the Bar Council released a statement urging that the court allows the legislature to amend the law, given how widespread the impact of legalisation of same-sex marriage would be across India's legal system. Of course, it's very unlikely that the legislature would make such amendments, given the government's strong stance against same-sex marriage. Now, proceedings in this case, which were live-streamed in public interest, were carefully followed, not just in India, but regionally too. Because India could potentially be the first South Asian country to legalise same-sex marriage.
1: In Sri Lanka, on the 9th of February, a private member's bill was submitted to parliament to decriminalise same-sex relationships. Currently, sections 365 and 365A of Sri Lanka's penal code have been used to target and harass the LGBTIQ community in Sri Lanka, although the wording doesn't specifically target same-sex relations, and the community has long called to repeal these colonial-era laws. Now, the SLPP government has indicated that they are going to support the bid for decriminalizing same-sex relationships. But news of the bill was met with skepticism from the queer community since it was submitted soon after the first discussion that Sri Lanka had with the IMF for the release of funds. And the SLPP has and members of it have, you know, often made homophobic comments. On the 19th of April, the bill was also challenged by three well-known supporters of SLPP and the Rajapaksas who argued that decriminalization could impact children's ability to make decisions freely and that it might make more children identify as trans. Shortly after, several LGBTIQ rights organizations, activists, psychiatrists and psychologists, academics and members of civil society filed intervening petitions, arguing that decriminalization would remedy a long-standing injustice against the LGBTIQ community in Sri Lanka. The bill has yet to be passed into law. In Nepal, the Supreme Court has also instructed the government to recognize the same-sex foreign spouse of a Nepali citizen, according to Human Rights Watch. The court has also instructed the government to urgently consider 2015 court-ordered report, which recommends broader recognition of same-sex relationships. So in general, there's a lot of kind of progress on this front or at least discussion about same-sex relationships and decriminalization across the region.
0: Our next big story is from the Pakistan-Afghanistan border, where the Inter-Services Public Relations Director General of Pakistan, Ahmed Sharif, recently said that 98% of fencing along the Durand Line has been completed. He said that this move would help in preventing the crossing of terrorists. Now, the Taliban government denied the building of fencing and said that commuting between the two countries should continue. The de facto government has previously said that it opposes any fencing along the border. Now the Durand Line has long been a source of controversy and conflict, and recently much of the news has been surrounding the rise in terror attacks in Pakistan, linked to the Taliban takeover in Afghanistan. The Pakistan government is under a lot of pressure to effectively combat the rise, which we have several pieces covering, including a February 2023 piece by Hurmat Ali Shah discussing the protests in Swat and Waziristan, and a March 2023 piece by Salman Rafi Sheikh discussing the Pakistani government's relationship with the e Taliban. But talks of fencing off the Durand Line are certainly not new. In a 2005 piece called The Line Durand Drew, Daniel Lack discusses how the then President Musharraf has long wanted to demarcate and fence off parts of the line. All three of these pieces are linked in the episode notes below. And now for our next segment, Around South Asia in 5 minutes.
1: April 24th marks 10 years since the collapse of the 8-storey Rana Plaza in Bangladesh. On the morning of the 24th, survivors and members of the National Garment Workers Federation held a memorial and called for the day to be recognised as a day of mourning. A new study by ActionAid Bangladesh found that 54.5% of the survivors were still unemployed, mostly due to health conditions, including breathing difficulties and vision impairment, among other conditions. The report also found that 60% of 200 garment factory workers who were interviewed talked of safety risks at their workplaces, including machinery problems, lack of fire safety measures, inadequate ventilation and lighting, and other things. Now, this is despite agreements like the Fire and Building Safety Accord, which was brought in after the Rana Plaza incident. In January 2022, we published a piece by Dina Siddiqui looking at the continued precarity of workers in Bangladesh's garment factories. So do check that out in the episode notes. Well, on that day, um, April 25th at 10 a.m., we were on top of that mountain, it's so about seven thousand feet high when the entire mountain and actually the whole of central Nepal moved and uh, immediately we knew it was an april twenty fifth also marks eight years since the Gorkha earthquake in Nepal. The Nepali Times published a story looking at reconstruction efforts in Laprak and Barpak, finding that only fifty out of five hundred and seventy three houses in Kumsikpaka where the survivors had initially relocated, were inhabited. Now, this is partly because the new houses didn't have features found in traditional Gurung homes, including space to accommodate livestock. They are also not fit for extended families and accommodating them, and residents complained that the doors, windows, and plastic roofs did not feel sturdy. There's also a lack of nearby water access due to a burst pipeline. A similar situation was found in Kalitar village. Now, this story highlights how even well-intentioned reconstruction efforts can fail if there isn't an attempt to build, plan and develop considering the needs of residents. Do watch the documentary produced by Himal South Asian, called Natural Event, Man-Made Disaster, produced one year after the earthquake and linked in the episode notes. And on April 20th, An Indian court acquitted 69 Hindus of the murder of 11 Muslims during the 2002 communal riots in Gujarat. Now those acquitted included former state minister Maya Kodnani and the former head of Bajrang Dal, Babu Bajrangi. Shamsad Pathan, the advocate representing the victims, said that they would challenge the decision in a higher court. India's Prime Minister Modi has been repeatedly accused of complicity for allowing the violence to occur during his tenure as Chief Minister of Gujarat. Do revisit our 2019 piece by Rakesh Shukla, reviewing Revati Lau's book, The Anatomy of Hate, linked in the episode notes.
0: In Bhutan, the government has been secretly investing millions of dollars into Bitcoin, Ether and other digital assets according to a report published by Forbes on April 15th. The report says that Druk Holding and Investments, which is the commercial arm of the royal government of Bhutan, has been depositing, withdrawing and borrowing cryptocurrency without disclosing it to the public, and it was only revealed through court documents after multiple crypto companies filed for bankruptcy. Around two weeks after the report, the CEO of DHI confirmed in an interview with the Bhutanese that they have been mining digital assets for years now, and said that all digital assets borrowed to make investments have been paid back with no dues. In the same interview, he said that power supply, including from Bhutan's growing hydropower sector, is used for domestic consumption, local industries and the private sector first, with crypto mining getting the last priority. DHI also stressed that steps have been taken for risk management. Now, as Bhutan graduates from least developed country status at the end of 2023, the government has been working to ensure a smooth transition and continue its economic growth while navigating issues like the geographical limitations of the country. While crypto might be a bold move in this regard, question marks still remain about why these investments weren't publicly disclosed in the first place.
1: Ahead of the upcoming Karnataka state elections in India and amidst growing concerns about data theft and potential voter manipulation by private companies, another private firm in Bengaluru has surfaced that is selling voter data, including mobile numbers, to candidates for around 25,000 rupees, according to the News Minute. The Election Commission is investigating whether the company could have been used to bribe voters by depositing money into their unified payments interface. Now, we did discuss similar incidents earlier in a previous episode of South Asia Sphere. That particular instance was in Chennai, where a company was being contracted to collect data on recipients of state benefits. We'll link to that in the episode notes
0: the country must know who obtained that bribe as claimed by Vijayadasa Rajapaksha the commission must Recently, expose it a case was filed in court in Singapore to recover damages for the Express Pearl. in, in Sri Lanka Minister of Justice Vijayadasa Rajapaksha claimed that a 250 million US dollar bribe was paid to officials in order to delay litigation against the owners and agents of Express Pearl a Singaporean vessel that sank off the coast of Sri Lanka in 2021. This was the worst maritime disaster in Sri Lanka, resulting in large amounts of toxic chemicals and around 1680 metric tons of plastic pellets being released into the sea near Sri Lanka's west coast. The disaster impacted the livelihoods of many coastal communities, and around the time, the government assured that compensation from the Singaporean company would go to the affected communities. But it took two years from the disaster and the Justice Minister's accusations for a case to be filed in the Singaporean courts, rather frantically. All the while, justice was delayed.
1: In Delhi, police said that they would register a case against the Chief of India's Wrestling Federation, Bridge Bushan Singh, after several athletes came forward accusing him of sexual abuse. In January and again in mid-April, several of india's top female wrestlers protested and demanded action against singh who is also a member of the bjp now police initially said that they needed to conduct an inquiry before they could file an fir but renewed protests have pushed them to change their stance the president of the indian olympic association pt usha said that the protesting wrestlers were tarnishing the country's image to sharp reactions from the protesting wrestlers and supporters. Singh himself claimed that the sport had come to a standstill due to the protest and continues to deny the charges. Now the protest is ongoing at Jantar Mantar despite rain with a core group of wrestlers staying on at the protest site.
0: In Myanmar, the video camera of Kenji Nagai, a Japanese photojournalist who was killed while covering the 2007 saffron revolution, was returned to his sister. Nagai's camera went missing after his death, but the news organisation Democratic Voice of Burma managed to track it down and recover the footage, which shows the last moments before he was killed by Myanmar armed forces and his death sparked widespread anger in Japan. Widely seen footage, including a Pulitzer Prize winning photo by a Reuters journalist, showed a soldier aiming a rifle near Nagai as he lay on the ground injured. But Japan's government said at the time that they could not conclude that he was shot at point-blank range. His sister said that the footage from his camera that was recently recovered would be taken to Japan to be analysed and support investigations into his death. And now for our next segment, bookmark. Raisa, do you have any recommendations?
1: Yes, Saheli, I do. So I'd like to recommend Assamese filmmaker Reema Das's movie, Bubu Can Sing. It's from 2018 and it's a really nice coming of age story set in Assam. The first half in particular is this really beautiful celebration of innocence and girlhood and childhood in, in general. It follows the story of three friends who are building their own personalities and exploring their sexuality. But around the middle of the film, their lives are kind of struck down by tragedy. And it's really about them kind of coming into themselves, despite kind of moral policing. I really recommend it, especially if you went to a really strict school. I think (laughs) that you will be able to relate to some of the issues that are kind of touched on in the film but I thought it was really beautifully told and understated.
0: What I found really interesting was the process of making the film itself. So I was reading about it and, it you know, articles say that Das, the director, was doing all the camera work, editing and production design herself as well as, you know, writing and directing and producing it. And even the actors, they were non-professional actors, but I think just one character. And I thought that, you know, this process, it reflects in the film in a very good way because it makes it more personal and intimate, you know, in the way it looks at life in the village, which is nice, I think, especially given how Assam isn't really covered in mainstream cinema very much. And in that mean, if you are interested in watching documentaries from South Asia, do sign up for the next edition of Screen South Asia, where we'll be screening Is It Too Much To Ask by Lena Manimekalai, as well as hosting a Q&A with the director.
1: Thanks, Aheli. Yes. So that's kicking off on the 5th of May and we'll be having the Q&A on the 8th. So do keep an eye out for that. That's it for this episode of South Asia Sphere. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to South Asia Sphere. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Himal South Asian social media channels to make sure you don't miss the next episode. Head to our website, himalmag.com, to see more of Himal's work. And please support our work by becoming a member. Check out our membership plans at himalmag.com slash membership.